It's Friday, September 16th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, from informing the bees to muting self-checkout machines, the many shades of mourning and not in the United Kingdom, and from ice cream prescribed with chemotherapy to synchronized heartbeats signaling romantic attraction, here are the winners of the 2022 Ig Nobel Prizes. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. When Queen Elizabeth passed away last week, John Chapel soberly tied black ribbons around the beehives at Buckingham Palace and then quietly reported to the bees that Her Majesty the Queen had passed away. Especially to Americans, it seemed like the latest in a long line of examples of bizarre acts of respect in this mourning period in the United Kingdom. But according to the New York Times, telling the bees is actually an age-old folkloric tradition that reaches far beyond just the British royal family. Quote, The tradition holds that bees, as members of the family, should be informed of major life events in the family, especially births and deaths. Beekeepers would knock on each hive, deliver the news, and possibly cover the hive with a black cloth during a mourning period. The practice is more common in Britain, but is also found in the United States and other parts of Europe, said Mark Norman, a folklorist and the author of Telling the Bees and Other Customs, the Folklore of Rural Crafts. In the 18th and 19th centuries, it was believed that neglecting to tell the bees could lead to various misfortunes, including their death or departure, or a failure to make honey. Nowadays, beekeepers may be less likely to believe they risk bad luck, but they may continue to follow the tradition as a mark of respect, Mr. Norman said. End quote. Tradition and respect are the words of the hour in Britain right now, as the entire country has been consumed by a spectacle of mourning. King Charles III and the Queen Consort have been traveling all over Great Britain, meeting with locals. Major news channels are essentially only reporting on Queen Elizabeth II and various funeral proceedings, with most media outlets having adopted black and white versions of their logos. And people continue to leave an astronomical amount of flowers at the gates of Buckingham Palace, or in nearby parks and on sidewalks if they aren't able to get close enough to the palace due to the crowds. Businesses are also trying to show signs of respect. Brick-and-mortar stores have turned off their music and are refraining from making overhead announcements. One grocery store chain, Morrison's, took it a step further and turned off the beeping on their self-checkout machines, leading to bottlenecks in the stores as customers struggled to scan their items, thinking they weren't being scanned properly. The company says the beeps aren't turned off all the way, just turned down very quietly out of respect. And it's hardly the most eyebrow-raising sign of respect that's been reported. The first day or so following the Queen's death, every brand from Lego and AstraZeneca to Hooters and Crazy Frog tweeted their condolences. Since then, it's ramped up to at least one CrossFit gym designing a Queen Elizabeth II workout, a laser hair removal service offering commemorative discounts, and one of those coin-operated rides for toddlers outside of grocery stores being temporarily unavailable, with a piece of computer paper taped to it noting that the ride was suspended out of respect for Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth. Even Guinea Pig Awareness Week has been postponed. 
But it does get a bit more concerning than guinea pig awareness week. One vacation resort chain announced that they would be closing on Monday the 19th so their employees could watch the funeral. One problem with that, they already had overnight guests booked for that day. So they just asked the guests to leave just for the one day, make other arrangements. But after some fairly justified backlash, they announced that guests would be allowed to stay, but all of their facilities would be closed. Closures on the newly declared government holiday have been causing quite the headache. Many gas stations will be closing on the day of the funeral, so people have been warned to fill up their tanks beforehand. British Airways has canceled about a seventh of their flights on Monday so that the skies above London will be quiet during the ceremony. And more seriously yet, hospital appointments have also been canceled. Some food banks are planning to close for the day. It's gotten so out of hand that a source at the palace was pushed to tell The Telegraph, quote, While we appreciate people wanting to commemorate the life of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth appropriately and respectfully, it is up to individual organizations to decide how they do that, balancing it with the need to cause minimum disruption to others. There have been no blanket instructions from the royal household for cancellations of events, services, or transport links. None of this is at the request of the palace. End quote. Though, some say, since the day of the funeral was made a government holiday, even some crucial services, like doctor's offices, are making tough decisions because their staff has to be home with their kids who have the day off from school. Or there are employees who want to spend the day watching coverage of the funeral, which the government guidance says employers should consider allowing. And everyone is already fearing it'll be impossible to get anywhere in London that day anyways. So while the palace may be trying to cover its tracks by saying they didn't instruct or require any of this, some of it is liable to happen as a ripple effect from how disruptive the whole affair is to every part of British life right now. As Imogene Westknights pointed out in the Financial Times, quote, The reason we have funerals is partly because it gives people a script for how they are supposed to interact with a death. The funeral on Monday will dictate how the Crown wants the public to feel about the Queen's passing, that it is a somber moment of great circumstance requiring an almost fantastical degree of ceremony, end quote. Which I think is a very astute point about grief, and does help reframe any reactions that might seem off-kilter at first blush. Grief is a weird thing that manifests differently for each person. And, yes, almost fantastical degree of ceremony isn't exactly wrong. And perhaps the most fantastical phenomenon that everyone has their eyes on at the moment is the queue. The queue is the line that members of the public are waiting in for their turn to see the late queen lying in state at Westminster Hall in the Houses of Parliament in London. It sounds nice enough, but so many people wanted to pay their respects that as of recording, there is a 24-hour wait to make it through the over five miles of queue along the River Thames. Now, officials, it initially seemed, were prepared for this, 
A map was made with restrooms, water, and first aid stations marked along the path. Hundreds of stewards, volunteers, and even British Sign Language interpreters were recruited for the job. Color-coded wristbands were organized and preparations made for the elderly and those with disabilities. Also, apparently, for members of Parliament who got fast-track passes, which has ruffled some feathers. There is an official live stream letting people know current wait times and other relevant warnings. There are also various other tracking tools hosted by media outlets. And still, it seems demand was even higher than anticipated, as the queue has regularly shut down temporarily when various endpoints along it reach capacity. And as many were anticipating would happen, at times when the queue has temporarily closed, another queue has then formed to join the queue. That is because the British are very good at queuing and very proud of it. While there have been a few serious incidents, this miles-long line of tens of thousands has not yet turned into the kind of riotous festival or rampage you might expect if it were occurring, well, here. In general, it seems like a decent and proud affair. Celebrities like Sharon Osbourne and David Beckham have been spotted in the queue, waiting their turn, not jumping the line like some members of Parliament. Lizzie Dearden, Home Affairs Editor for The Independent, even shared a map of all of the decent pubs along the queue. The one major snag seems to have come from the official livestream, utilizing London-based geocode startup What Three Words to let people know what endpoints to join in the queue. It's an interesting service that encodes geographic coordinates into three permanently fixed dictionary words. So instead of telling you to go to a certain cross street, for example, it might tell you to go to shops.views.paths, which encodes onto a 3 by 3 meter geographic location, which the official livestream did. Only shops.views.paths is in North Carolina. Shops.view.path was the correct endpoint of the queue in London. This type of typo mix-up is a fairly common problem with what three words. But thanks to a 2013 privatization of the United Kingdom's zip code address database, private location service providers like what three words are one of the few ways to direct people places without paying to access official addresses of people. If you want to learn more about that whole situation, check out the Gizmodo article in the show notes, which explains it a lot better. Here's what I will say. As much as the rest of us might laugh a bit at this odd state of affairs, journalist Wes Knights hopped over to Slate to serve up a good reality check. After mentioning the many hospital appointments and funerals canceled, as well as Parliament closing for a month right as a new prime minister came in and promptly lifted a countrywide ban on fracking, among other moves that are already raising eyebrows, Wes Knights continued, quote, This could hardly come at a worse time for the country. The cost of living crisis in the UK needs urgent political attention, and the cost of energy is going to become more and more pressing as the weather gets colder. These are interesting times to have a new prime minister and a new monarch in the same week. Things really suck here at the moment. People are frustrated. Everything is expensive. The post-pandemic mental health crisis is about to hit us like a freight train. And our seas and rivers are full of sewage that Tory MPs voted to have dumped there. Looking ahead, it seems likely that we're going to witness a vast, gaudy display of elite wealth, King Charles's coronation, just as the rest of the country drags itself through one of the worst recessions in history. 
There have also been the small incidents of anti-royal protest all over the country that have been met by the law with a ludicrously heavy hand. A man in Oxford was arrested for shouting, who elected him, when King Charles was being proclaimed as the king on Sunday. The severity of this reaction from the police and from the crown by extension suggests an unease. End quote. West Knights goes on to say that that unease is sparking some people to speculate if this will be the beginning of the end of the monarchy. As the familiar grandmother symbol is succeeded by a less liked public figure that they're all expected to bow their heads to, but West Knights isn't buying it, saying that the British public writ large seems all too accustomed to the monarchy, calling their relationship to it, quote, the ultimate case of Stockholm Syndrome, end quote. Whatever happens in the near and far future, it is certainly an odd time to be a Brit. But if you are speculating about the near future, Chris Taylor at Mashable stumbled on an old 2017 BBC made-for-TV movie adaptation of a 2014 play called King Charles III. It's a future history movie categorized as sci-fi, though I'm not sure how, if at all, it actually fits that genre, and it takes place in a timeline in which Queen Elizabeth II has just passed away and King Charles III is ascending to the throne. It was written by Mike Bartlett, whose award-winning career includes writing for Doctor Who, and stars Tim Pigott-Smith as the king. Pigott-Smith unfortunately passed away right before the movie aired. While I haven't watched it yet, based on Taylor's extensive and spoiler-filled review, it seems exceptionally odd despite being pretty highbrow. Or, at the very least, it's a bit uncanny. Prince Harry's plot in particular, featuring a black Hollywood girlfriend who lures him away from his royal duties as they're unjustly attacked by the tabloids, is very true to life, even though the original play was written two years before Harry and Meghan even met in real life. Another odd feature of the movie, it's partially written in blank verse, as well as rhyming iambic pentameter, even though it takes place in the near future, in the 21st century. The writer, Bartlett, was apparently inspired by imagining what Shakespeare might have thought about the contemporary dramas of the royal family. I'm dropping a link to the trailer in the show notes so you can see more for yourself. Here in the States, it is available to rent on Apple TV and Amazon Prime, and there are ample clips on YouTube of various staged productions over the years. As weird as that whole movie sounds, it actually might be a fairly accurate portrayal of how Britain is looking to a lot of the rest of the world right now. Last night was the 32nd first annual Ig Nobel Prize Ceremony. The Ig Nobels are a parody of the Nobel Prize. They award mostly scientific achievements from the past year that make people laugh and then make them think. Now, they aren't like the Razzies, which make fun of a person for giving a punitively bad performance. The work being honored by the Ig Nobels is respected for its legitimate merits. It's just often kind of weird or funny, too. There are usually lots of poop-related achievements. Like the past two years, the ceremony took place entirely online, but it was not lacking for any of its usual camp and circumstance. It is a spectacle of delight for nerds, with demonstrations, costumes, musical interludes, the traditional throwing of the paper planes, and short lectures. Very short lectures. Experts have to explain their work in 24 seconds, and then again in just seven words. 
hence the name 24-7 Lectures. I'll put a link to the ceremony and all of the 2022 winners in the show notes, but here are some of my favorites. Winning the Art History Ig Nobel was a paper on ritual enemas amongst the ancient Mayans, as depicted on pottery. In a detail that literally made my jaw drop, one of the scholars tested the various enemas on himself for science. The Literature Prize went to a team that found legal documents are unnecessarily difficult to understand, not because of their jargon or concepts, but due to poor writing. Spicy. In the medicine category, the Ig Nobel went to a team who found harmful side effects from some forms of toxic chemotherapy can be decreased when the patient eats ice cream. To explain this one a little bit, quoting Ars Technica, cancer patients undergoing chemotherapy and radiation treatments are highly likely to develop a condition known as oral mucositis because the treatments break down the epithelial cells lining the gastrointestinal tract, leaving them vulnerable to infection. Patients develop sores in the mouth, gums, and or tongue, and they have increased saliva and mucus and can experience difficulty swallowing. In extreme cases, the combination of excess saliva, mucus, and pain, especially combined with the nausea and vomiting common with chemo and radiation means it's almost impossible to eat. A common preventative measure is cryotherapy, which usually involves sucking on ice chips. But patients don't always fully comply with the ice chip cryotherapy because it becomes uncomfortably cold. Pediatric cancer patients, in particular, tend to respond better when ice cream is substituted for ice chips. But there had not been any studies specifically of ice cream cryotherapy, so the authors of the award-winning study decided to close that gap in the scientific literature. End quote. And next up in applied cardiology, the Ig Nobel Prize went to a team who found evidence that when new romantic partners meet for the first time and are attracted to one another, their heart rates actually synchronize. Considering the study was effectively using blind speed dating for their participants, this is definitely more of an attraction-only thing and not like a sign of love at first sight, though maybe the team could conduct a follow-up study several years from now to see if any of the participants kept in touch and stayed together. And lastly, the Economics Prize went to a team who mathematically described why the most successful people aren't necessarily the most talented, but rather the luckiest. Quoting again, It's not that talent, intelligence, hard work, and the like don't matter. It's just that many highly talented, intelligent, and hardworking people are frequently surpassed by far more mediocre folks, according to the usual measures of success, fame, wealth. Differences in education and income levels also matter when it comes to the likelihood of success, so the naive meritocracy that's so pervasive in Western culture essentially switches cause and effect. Talent and hard work alone won't be enough if you aren't lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time. End quote. It looks like that team was in the right place at the right time to have garnered the Ig Nobel Prize, and hopefully this is just the beginning of many more achievements for all of the talented researchers who were honored last night. And I didn't even mention the Moose Crash Test Dummy. Scrolling through the Ig Nobel winners is always a delight, so I definitely encourage you to check out the rest in the show notes.
Well, that is going to be it from me for this week. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again on Monday.